So today's daf is Nun Tet in Yoma. We are uh, about 21 lines from the top of Nun Tet Amud Aleph, where we are continuing with the discussion of the application of the blood to the inner Mizbeach, which happens after the Kohen Gadol first applies the blood inside the Kodesh Kodeshim, and then applies the blood to the Parochet. Then he comes over to the Mizbeach, as we said, and there were two different directions he could take. He could go to the south side, he could go to the north side, uh, depending upon what the opinion is regarding uh, where the opening of the curtain was. So, Rabbi Eliezer, what where we left off. Matnitin mani. Who does uh, whom does our Mishnah follow? It's Rabbi Yehudahi. Detanya. It says Nabraita. Rabbi Meir Omer. Rabbi. Eli- so there were two versions of Rabbi Eliezer. If we look back at our Mishnah, Rabbi Eliezer said that uh, the Kohen Gadol does not walk around the Mizbeach, but rather he stands in one place and he places the blood on the four corners. And in all cases, he goes from down to up, meaning he goes in an upward motion, except for the one immediately in front of him, where he where he uses a downward motion. Okay, lemala lemata, the one that's closest to him. That's Rabbi Yehuda's version of Rabbi Eliezer. But we're going to see in this brayta that Rabbi Meir Omer Rabbi Eliezer Omer b'mkoma Omedum Chatev al Kulan Hayanoten b'mala lemata, chutz meotash be'alachson shenoten b'mata lemala. So according to Rabbi Meir, the, the it goes as follows: that Rabbi, uh, he agrees that Rabbi Eliezer stands in. Rabbi Eliezer holds that the Kohen Gadol is going to stand in one place. When he applies the blood to the altar, and again we mentioned that there's a machloket between Rashi and Rambam, whether it's a sprinkling or a smearing, uh, Rashi has it as a smearing. Now he puts it milemala lemata, meaning he goes from an up, he goes in a downward motion from above to from up to down, except for the one shebe alachson, which is on a diagonal from where he's standing. So that would mean that if he's standing on like what we said, the southeast uh, corner of the mizbeach. And he leans over, so what's going to be on a diagonal is going to be the um, northwest corner of the Mizbeach. If he were standing like the other version, that it's the, he starts from the northeast, so then it's going to be the southwest. But the idea is that it's that one that he has to reach the farthest, that one he goes, Mimata Lemala, he's going to go from down to up, meaning it would be, un, it's enough that he's already stretching over, as she says, he's already stretching so far over to also require him to uh, reach up higher when he's already stretching over and to go down that would be too much so he goes up down on every one except for that one where he can go from down to up and uh, and apply the blood Rabbi Yehuda Omer Rabbi Eliezer Omer Medum so Rabbi Yehuda again everyone agrees that according to Rabbi Eliezer the Kohen Gadol does not walk around the Mizbech but rather stands in one place and applies the blood to the entire Mizbech because as we said it's a very small Mizbech actually what's the height? What's the height of it's only two amot tall it's short. It's like if you look at the pictures, the Kohen Gadol is taller, much taller than the Mizbeach. Uh, the size is the corners. No? That's the, the talking about the dimensions of the area, not the height. You know, yeah. But we're talking about that. But the height is, I think it's two amot. No, it's two amot. So it's like, uh, so two amot is like three feet. Uh, it's like three feet tall. It's low. Now, if you look at the pictures, you'll see the Kohen Gadol is much taller than the than, than the, the uh, Mizbeach Hazav. It, it's a uh, it's a small uh, small thing. Huh? And the European Kohen Gadol. Yeah. It's yeah. It, 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 it's a, uh, it depends on the height of the Kohen Gadol, but obviously, let's say he's, he's probably a couple of feet taller than the, uh, than the Golden Mountain. Yeah, well, it depends which city they're from, I guess, and all that. <laughs> you know, it's, it seems like the, the, the average height of the, uh, the Or Esther Machetes is higher than the uh, uh, average height of the, uh, of the Machetes in 54 and Shai Rachamim. 
as you really notice, like when I'm in Shaira Hamim or I'm in 54, I feel like, okay, you know. And then, yeah, the younger people are eating different things. You go to Or Esther and I'm looking up at everyone. Yeah, it's a difference. There's a difference. Anyway, it's instead of Yuridat Tadorot, it's Aliyat Tadorot. It's getting higher. Yeah. Anyway. So the, so according to this version, the same thing. So in all the cases he goes down to up. So that's the reverse of what the previous opinion had, what Rabbi Meir said, that he should go a downward motion. This thing is goes upward. And the exception is not the diagonal one, but the exception is the one that's right in front of him, which would either be the southeast or the northeast, depending on your opinion. That one he goes from up to down. So his clothes won't get dirty, as we said. In other words, he wants to make, if he does it close to himself and he does it uh, in upward motion so the blood will drip onto his hand, if he does that in any other case, he's stretching so far that it's already away from him, he's not going to have to worry. And that's what our Mishnah says. So our Mishnah says he does a motion which is upwards except for the one immediately in front of him, not like Rabbi Meir says that he does a uh, downward motion except for the one across from him. That's, uh, so that our Mishnah is following Rabbi Yehuda's version of Rabbi Eliezer. Now, he's a mimenu al tawoshim mizbeach. It says, then he puts the, he splashes the blood on the purity of the mizbeach. Okay, whatever that means. Now we have to know what is my tawoshim mizbeach. What does that mean? It means halfway up the wall of the mizbeach. Now that's not going to be the accepted opinion, but he says it means halfway up the wall. Kedamrei enashei tahar tiara. People say that the uh, that uh, that's the translation of uh, of afternoon. At noon, they say that the purity is pure, meaning the day is as clear. It's as clear as day, like you say in you know you'll say like it's as clear as day. Meaning that means noon. So you, in so too halfway up the mizbeach, just like the sun is halfway across its trip across the sky, is called uh, tahor, pure. So the same thing. He says halfway up the mizbech, the wall of the mizbech. But the only thing is, it says that when he sprinkles the blood on the golden altar, he doesn't do it on the ashes, and he doesn't do it and he doesn't do it on the coals. He has to push the coals aside and apply the blood, meaning it's on top of the altar. It's not on the side. There's no coals on the side of the altar, so it's not talking about the side of the altar. It's talking about the top of the altar, because he has to move the coals aside in order to make space. Right? So the, so therefore, what? What it means by is the exposed part of the mizbeach. It's exposed, meaning because he moves the coals aside and he and you can and he exposes the metal. As it says in the vision that the elders had when they saw the uh, uh, you know they they saw what was beneath the feet of God, so to speak. They had that vision in the uh, in the end of Parshat uh, Mishpatim, which some Farshim say was good and some Farshim say was heretical. Huh? Show to show it, expose. Meaning he has to. The top of the mizbech normally has coals on it. Huh? It's gold. Mizbech hazav. That's called mizbech hazav. Because they burned the ketoret on there, so he would have to move the coals aside to put the blood. So that's called tawoshel mizbech and uketzem hashamayim latar. Like it says, ketzem hashamayim latar means it was a, it was as visible as 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 um. As revealed as the as the heavens, okay, as clear as the heavens, um, 
is what it means according to this that he had to move the coals side to side and put the blood on there in other words otherwise it would go onto the coals instead of the Mizbeach itself Tanya we said in the Baraita Hananya Omer B'tzad Tzfoni Honoten according to Hananya he's on the north side that he places the blood Rabbi Yossi Omer B'tzad Dromi Honoten Rabbi Yossi says no the south side they might can be Palgi and now this is going to go back to the Machloket we saw before Morsavar Right, so the point is that according to Rabbi Yossi, we already said that since he, according to Rabbi Yossi, he emerges from the Kodesh Kodeshim on the north side of the Mizbeach, so he ends up on the south side by the by the time he does his uh, circuit around the Mizbeach, he ends up on the north side because he's going to start on the he's going to start on the northeast side. And then he's going to go to the northwest, like we said, and then he's going to end up at the southeast as his final destination. So if he's putting the blood there, that's the place where he's going to be placing the blood on the top of the Mizbech. If you say the other way around, that he starts at the southeast because he emerged from the south side, so that means that he's going to end at the northeast. And if he ends at the northeast, so he's going to put the blood on the north side, that's all. But Mike, that's what it means, the opening of the curtain is either on the north or the south. So, Everybody agrees that the place that he finishes putting the blood on the horns of the altar, that's where he puts the blood on the middle of the, on the top of the altar. Because the Pasuk says, he should purify it and sanctify it. The place that he sanctified it, that is where he should purify it. In other words, where he completed process number one, it's exactly the same place that he uh, completes process number two. So if he ends up on the north side, he does it on the north side, top of the altar, but on the north side. And if he ends on the south side, he does it on the south side. Okay, then we said, Then he takes the leftover blood, he pours it on the western base of the outer altar. That's the altar of the Korbanot. Now, where, where do we get that from? Because it says, all of the blood of the, of the bull, he should pour out. Now, this is actually not talking about Yom Kippur. This pasuk is actually taken from the bull of the, uh, where the uh, Kohen Gadol, does uh, does sins right? He has, where he sins because he made a uh, he made an error, he made an erroneous ruling, and he followed it. So he has to bring a special par the par al kol the par of the kohen gadol par kohen mashiach we call it right. So that we learn from that to the par of Yom Kippur as we learned in Masechet Horayot many. Uh, many years ago now, it already feels like a long time ago. Through, uh, you know, in the beginning of our learning, we learned in Masachet Horayot that uh, that we learn a, com- a comparison between the two, and therefore the blood. Um, is poured on the western altar. That is the side of the mizbeach that he runs into first, because when he comes out of the uh, out of the kodesh kodeshim or out of the kodesh, so he's on the he's on the western side. So the first thing he's going to see as he's walking east is going to see the western side of the outer mizbeach, and that's where he pours the blood on that corner. That's true for the yom kippur, and that's also true for the blood of the uh, of the offering of the kohen. Mashiach, when he has to bring his special part. Now, now normally, and this was what it said in the Mishnah, normally korbanot that are offered on the outer Mizbeach, such as a korban chatat, a normal korban chatat, the blood is poured on the south side of the altar, not on the west side. Now, there's a practical reason you might say for that, because when you come down the the ramp, you're on the south side, because the ramp of the Mizbeach is on the south side. So the Kohen who goes up, and he has to apply, when it, we know that a chatat has to be, arba matanot al he has to go 
to each one of the corners of the altar. So he starts and he goes around and he comes back to the ramp and he comes down. When he comes down the ramp, he's on the south side of the Mizbech and that's where he's going to pour the blood. So that makes sense practically. That's why, that is the southern base of the altar. You know, it's the south and not the north and not the west. Right, we should learn the uh, going down from the ramp from the exit from the Kodesh. In other words, just like when he comes out of the Kodesh, what's the first side of the Mizbech he sees is the west side. So therefore he pours the blood on the west base of the altar. When he comes down the ramp, he's on the south side. So what's what's immediately next to him is going to be the south side. So in other words, according to this, it's one principle, but with two different results. The principle is whatever the closest. If he comes from this, if he's on the west, west is the closest. If he's on the South, south is the closest. Right. Now, Tanya, Rabbi Shmuel, Omer, Zev, Zev, Yisod, Maravi. Rabbi Shmuel says, no, I disagree. Both times you should use the West. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, Omer, Zev, Zev, Yisod, Dromi. No, both sides, you should do the South. Right? Because they wanted to make things, they couldn't agree. They want, you know, they... It makes it more fun if we have more opinions. Now we could see where Rabbi Ishmael would get his idea. Why? Because we have Satum and Mifurash. We have one where the Pasuk is explicit. It says that when he comes out of the Kodesh, he should pour it on the Yisod, on the base, which is Lifnei Hashem. Which is facing Hashem, so to speak, which is facing the Kodesh Hakodeshim, and that is the western side. So Rabbi Shmuel will say, just like with the when you, when the Kohen Gadol or the Kohen comes out of the Kodesh, he places it on the western side because that's what's facing the Kodesh, and that's what, so to speak, Lifnei Hashem. So we'll say the same for all other Chataot that they should be that the blood should be poured on the western base of the altar because that's the one where the Torah specifically says that base of the altar is important. El Rabbi Shimon Bar Ben Yochai, my Tama, but Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai does make any sense because when you come out of the Mizbech the first one you see is the western one right and that's the one that really should be called Lifnei Hashem what's the reasoning we understand the reasoning why you would favor the southern side for a chatat that is done on the outer altar because you come down the ramp on the southern side but what reason would you have for the Kohen Gadol who comes out of the Kodesh Kodashim to be placing the blood on the southern instead of the western side so he said Reishim Ben Yochai will tell you his, his, he maintains that the opening of the Hechal is Bidromoshel Mizbeach In other words, it's true that it's to the west, but it's angled to the south because the Mizbeach is a little bit to the north. So therefore, even though we come, even though you could argue that the western side of the Mizbeach is the one that's facing Kodesh when he comes out, really he sees the he sees the southern side because he's coming out a little bit to the south of the Mizbeach. So he says that that's really when the Pasuk says you should put it on the base of the altar that is the Fnei Hashem, it's not referring to the western side, it's referring to the southern side. So it turns out, turns out that for the Kohen Gadol who's coming out of the Kodesh Kodeshim, the southern side makes sense too. And for the one who's coming down from the ramp, the southern side makes sense. So the southern side is going to be favored in both cases according to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Now, Tanadve Rabbi Ishmael Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai that the, um, it says that the, uh, that actually in the end, in the Bit Midrash of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, they taught Rabbi Ishmael's teaching in the way of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Zev Yisod Dromit. 
that uh, in both cases it should be the southern side. In other words, they they changed the opinion of Rabbi Ishmael. It doesn't mean that they fabricated his opinion. It means that they apparently convinced him to agree with their teacher. And therefore we said, that that means that people pulled the person, meaning that Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, because he had students who uh, were able to prevail upon Rabbi Ishmael to change his opinion, so he went along with the group of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, and uh, that's what it says, Talmidei Rabbi Shimon mashchu et Rabbi Ishmael lomar kedivrahin. That uh, they convinced Rabbi Ishmael to agree that the southern side was the better choice in all cases, rather than the western side that he originally thought. So the, and, and, uh, we said that whatever blood you pour on the altar, whether you blo- pour it on the base, which is the western or the southern, it's going to filter into this channel, the, what's called the ama, which conveys all of the, so to speak, waste. It's, a, it's hard to call it that. You don't want to be disrespectful, but the idea is like whatever is not used and takes it out to Nachal Kidron. So it said, and it said in the Mishnah that they would pay for it. People would buy it. And then, and if they didn't buy it, in other words, there was an isur of me'ilah, of misappropriation from the temple property if you did not purchase it. But once you paid for it, you could use it. Now it says, and that the rabbis taught that uh, that blood has a prohibition of me'ilah, meaning if a person didn't pay for it, they are subject to me'ilah using that blood. According to the rabbis, there is no prohibition of me'ilah by blood. So that is adkan That's talking about midirabanan. Rashi says manda among moalin midirabanan. That when the when Rabbi Meir says there's me'ilah by blood, he's saying rabbinically, meaning. But to give him the, the biblical prohibition of, uh, of, uh, uh, of adding the surcharge and certainly of bringing korban, we wouldn't do that because it's only a rabbinic prohibition. So they would have to uh, pay it back, but they wouldn't have the additional surcharge. And obviously they wouldn't have a korban that they would have to bring because, um, uh, because they weren't really committing a prohibition of me'ilah. Right, that's the, if they used it. Right, so he says if the um, uh, and the point is that uh, right. So the, so really, aval midoraita in malin There's definitely no meila midoraita in this uh, in this framework. Right. So the question is, why is that? Amar ula amar because the pasuk says when it talks about blood going on the mizbech, it says I've given it lachem al mizbech lechapel nafshotechem. I've given it to you. In order to atone for you. What does it mean, lachem? Shelachem. It's yours. Meaning as soon as the kapara is done, the blood is really yours. Meaning you could take it and you wouldn't have to worry about meila. Okay? Now, Dvei Rabbi Shimon Tana, in Yeshiva Rabbi Shimon, they said, lechaper. It says, lechaper. Lechapara netativ lo la Which means, I gave you the blood to use for kapara, but it's not subject to meila. For Rabbi Yochanan, Amar, Amar, Kra, Hu. Right? Meaning, it says that the kihadam hu banevish yechaper. It says it who. What does that mean? It means who lifnei kapara kil achar kapara. Meaning, it, it, whatever it is before the kapara is the same after. Malachar kapara in bomila after lifnei kapara in bomila. That not only is there no meila after the mitzvah is already done with the blood, even beforehand there's no meila. Ve'im malachar kapara kil lifnei kapara. You could flip it the other way. And say, Maybe we could say that just like, we could go the other way and say it never loses its prohibition of Mila. How do you know that it means it never had a prohibition of Mila if you benefit from the blood of a korban? The answer is because you never have something which is 
um, which is, uh, the mitzvah is done already, and it still has a prohibition of meila, because the idea of meila is that it's designated for a mitzvah, for a service of Hashem. That's right, as soon as it's done, it loses its prohibition of meila, so you would never have something that afterwards has, that uh, would afterwards still retain its prohibition of meila. Velo, is it true? Value, right? it, I didn't hear you. It retains its value even after you finish the mitzvah. So what in value? Yeah, but it doesn't have kiddushah anymore. The mitzvah is done, so it's, that's not milah. Milah is, is is for the mitzvah. So now it says varei trumat adeshin. What about trumat adeshin? That we know that there there's a halacha that that trumat adeshin, even though he removes it. In other words, every day he takes it off the mizbeach, he puts it next to the mizbeach until finally they remove it completely from the uh, from the bet hamikdash. So that pile is actually asur uh, bahana'a, even though the mitzvah was done already. The trumat adeshin was done already. Right, mishum So why don't we learn from that that even after mitzvot are done with sacred things, they retain their prohibition of mila? The answer is mishum because we have two psukim. We have one pasuk by trumat adeshen that says that it retains its prohibition of use, its prohibition bahanaa even after it is the mitzvah is fulfilled. And we also have that by Big Day Kehuna, that even after the Kohen Gadol is done with his, uh, with his service, the clothing that he wore retains its prohibition of Hana'a. And that's Shnei Kuvim Nabayin Kechad, because Shnei Kuvim Nabayin Kechad, and Milamdim. We have a general rule that if you have two psukim that teach the same idea, we can't generalize, because if we were to generalize, then you wouldn't need two psukim. In other words, if we have only one pasuk to tell us that a mitzvah is done with an object and the object retains its kedusha, it retains its status of meila, we could say, okay, we'll generalize from that object to all other objects. But if the Torah had to tell us twice in two different contexts, that means it's not telling us to generalize. It's telling us only when I tell you. And since it tells you in two different places, Bigdei Kehona and Tumat Adeshin, so therefore we say that uh, that that makes sense according to the rabbis who say that the Bigdei Kehona are put away. The Bigdei Kehona are not used again. They're Asur Bahana'a after the Kohen Gadol uses them. So therefore, there are two cases. There's the case of Big Day Kehuna, and there's also the case of Chumat Adeshin. But according to Rabbi Dosa, according to Rabbi Dosa, as we learned, who says that the leftover Bigadim of the Kohen Gadol of Yom Kippur could be used by ordinary Kohanim, and they don't have to be, uh, they don't have to be put away. They're not Asur Bahana'a. So we only have one example. The only example is Chumat Adeshin. So maybe we should generalize. So there's another Another case where even after doing the mitzvah, there is still a prohibition of Hana'a, and that's Egla Arufa, the decapitated calf. We have a murder victim who is found between two cities. We don't know who did it. We bring the elders of the closest city. They have to decapitate this calf and say these tefilot with the Kohanim come and so on. And this is this calf, even after it's killed, is Asroba Hana'a, even though the mitzvah is already done. So that shows you we have two cases of a thing that the mitzvah is done and it retains its isur hana'a and only two cases. We don't generalize from it. Okay, because right, and that's what he said. Because there's no such because a binyan av by binyan definition, definition is only one area, thing. A binyan av by definition means generalizing. If I generalize, then a binyan av would would make the other one not necessary. Maybe you generalize within categories. No. If they saw a category to distinguish, they would. That's what they would do. In other words, then they would say, "Well, uh, that's called a mahatad." Right, that's when they say, uh, is this. That's when they're constructing a binyan av that's limited. You understand what I'm saying? There's an opinion that says... Right, they're going to say anyway, but I'm just saying, but in general, ma, the, the idea that you're saying is like, ma'atzad, is this. Mm-hmm. Meaning that that's when they're 
making the, they're refining the category and saying it only generalized to certain things that have in common what they have in common. That would be like what you're talking about. A binyan avar matzad. That's the, uh, that's that. Now it says. What do they do with what? They, they take a scoop every day and they put it next to them's back. And then? And then after it builds up a certain amount, they take it away. And then? They, it's continual. They take it to another nobody, place outside them. Nobody's supposed to. Nobody's supposed to touch it. Right. It just stays there. Now, now the now we have two examples. We have Eglar Rufan. We have Chumat Adeshe. Okay, so it says, So I'm even going to question the premise and say, that's good according to the one who says that if you have two examples, you can't generalize. But what about those who say that even if you have two examples, you could still generalize? The difference is that there are two exclusions. Visamo, you shall place it. Meaning, you shall place it means that the Chumat Adeshin, whatever is taken off the Mizbeach, permanently retains its prohibition of Hana'ah. Ha'arufa, the hay in Ha'arufa, is telling you that you uh, that only the case of the Eglarufa. In other words, it's not really a case where you have two examples and therefore it's superfluous. It's a case where you have two exclusions and it's telling you that only in this case and only in this case. And therefore, even if generally you could generalize from two examples, you can't do it here. We don't do it here. So therefore, blood, definitely after it's used in the Kapara ritual, is not going to be subject to Milan. Even before, it's not going to be subject. Why do we need three psukim with respect to blood and what the, it means, lachem, lechaper, and who? We had these three psukim that the rabbis in the previous Amud were analyzing. Why do you need these three psukim? Minotar. I want to tell you that even if you have a korban that is notar, notar means that it was left past its time, not pigul, left past the time. It actually was left past the time that it was allowed to be eaten, and therefore it's notar, you're not allowed to eat it. But the blood is not part of that prohibition, only the meat is. I want to tell you that blood is not subject to me'ilah, that if you benefit from the blood of a korban, you are not considered to be violating, you're not considered to be misappropriating and you wouldn't have to follow the rules of mitum'ah. I want to tell you that blood is not subject to tum'ah. It doesn't become tamay. Okay? So, but you don't need a pasuk actually to tell you. Now, by the way, what it means to exclude from blood but from the tum'ah, right? So it says that if it, what it means is that if the person is Tamei, Rashi says, Imachal dam kodashim The person is Tamei, and he eats a korban, right? So normally, if a person is Tamei and they eat a korban, they would be liable for eating korban in the state of Tum'ah, but if that's only if they eat the meat of the korban, not if they eat the, uh, the blood of the korban, right? That's, so that's, uh, that's excluded from oh, the idea of the Tum'ah. That's what it means, yeah. That's what it means by t- the, if, it could. I get uh, it's uh, it's a liquid, right? It's a there. We had in Dam Kodeshim. There was a special halacha about the, the blood of Kodeshim that it's that it's uh, pure. And there was a question: Is what does it mean that it's pure? Does it mean that it just doesn't render other things subject to tumah, or that it itself can't become tamei? It was a whole discussion that we had in Masachet Psachim about that issue, but. Uh, but here it's specifically talking about excluding it from the prohibition on a Tamei person eating the Korban, that it wouldn't apply to eating the blood of the Korban. But Obviously, you're not allowed to eat blood anyway. So, but right. But the question is, would you violate the sort of being Tamei when you ate it? Of eating Korban. Because eating the Korban, right, eating Korban means the Basar of the Korban. It doesn't mean the blood. That's, that's what it's saying. But right. actually, they benefit, how do you benefit from blood? Uh, you could sell it as fertilizer. You could fertilize your field with it. People use it for fertilizer. That's what they would sell it for. 
And how do we know that you don't need a pasuk for pigul? It's not kol sheyesh lo matirin ben ladam ben lemezbeach hayavin lav shum pigul v'dam atzmo matiru. That the uh, in general we have a rule that pigul is something that inheres in a korban. It basically comes to be in a korban because of the intention of the kohen. When the kohen is performing the service, he thinks that he's going to eat the korban at a later date than it's supposed to, or he's going to complete the offering at a later time than he's supposed to. That's called pigul. That makes the korban pasul. So even if he goes ahead and he finishes it properly, it became pigul because he had an intent to do the wrong thing at the time that he was doing the avodah. Now that only applies to davar sheyesh lo matirin, which means it's only something that has a, that is that is changed as a result of the avodah of the kohen. So what is changed as a result of the avodah of the kohen? The meat of the of the korban, which in a, in kodeshim kalim changed from being prohibited to used to being permitted for people to eat, or or in the case of a kodesh kodeshim, the meat also of the chatat that changed, or the limbs of the korban that previously but prior to the blood service weren't allowed allowed to be put on the altar and now are allowed to be put on the altar, but there was something that changed in that part of the korban that enables it to do something or to have something done with it that wasn't previously allowed. So either the meat becomes permitted in consumption for a person, or or the limbs become permitted in consumption for the altar, but something happens that changes. Whereas blood never changes. Blood is the matir. It's the thing that brings about the change in the korban. It itself doesn't change. So there, And as we learned, it has to be something where a change occurs um, that gets the prohibition of pigul. So if the Kohen has in mind to, to do something wrong related to time when he's doing the korban, so the meat of the korban that would have changed into being permitted now becomes pigul. Or the meat of the korban that would have changed to be permitted for eating, or, the, or it could be the meat of the korban that would have been permitted to be placed on the altar, now becomes pigul meat, and that's the status of pigul, but the blood never actually changes its status anyway. It's just what is used in the process. So if it's applied to the altar and the Kohen had a wrong intention, that blood doesn't become pigul. The only thing that become and, and the blood of the Korban won't become pigul that's in the meat either because it's not something that ever was permitted to eat anyway. Only the things that are changed in status as a result of the Avodah are things that become pigul as a result of the Kohen's wrong intention. That's the point. So you don't need a pasuk to tell you that blood will not become pigul because it wouldn't become pigul anyway. Nobody would have the thought that it would become pigul anyway. And that's why you need these three psukim to tell you that it's that the prohibition of notar, prohibition of a tamei eating it, and the prohibition of milah don't apply to blood. And so even though they did charge money, Right, they charged money, and according to Rabbi Meir, there was milam midirabanan. If a person would take that blood without paying the money, um, there was no milad deoraita in the blood of uh, the korbanot.